Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. And verse 17, and thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cubits, or two cherubims, rather, of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat, and make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. Thou shalt put the mercy seat above, above upon the ark. And the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, and all the things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. If you would, go with me to the book of Titus. Titus chapter number 3, Titus chapter number 3, and I'll begin reading with verse 1, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, Deceived, serving diverse lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of our God, of God our Savior, toward man appeared. Talks about all of these things that people that he is writing to struggled with, and he includes himself. He uses the pronoun we. He said, we were all involved in this. We were all sinners. But after that the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, when God appeared in our life. Anybody remember that day when God appeared in your life? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. We couldn't get good enough to get God, but we got God and and things began to get good in our lives. But according to his mercy, everybody say mercy. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's one little phrase of scripture there in verse 5 that stands out to me, but according to to his mercy and I just want to use that as a subject according to his mercy 
according to his mercy. Another place in the Bible it says that he will show mercy upon whom he will show mercy. And I'm thankful that though it does not seem logical, it doesn't seem right sometimes to man, it doesn't seem fitting, it doesn't seem like that is uh, the decision, at least from what we can see, that should be made. But God is merciful. God is gracious to you and I. And he looks beyond what man can see and sees hope. And he helps and he strengthens and he restores and he gives an opportunity for people to have a relationship with him. And I'm so thankful for that today. Why don't we lift up our hands and let's pray for the anointing of the Holy Ghost and the touch of God upon this service. Jesus, we look to you. We're believing you. We're trusting you and asking you, God, to move and minister in the remainder of this service. I pray, God, that you would stir the souls of individuals that are in this house. God, quicken our hearts through uh, your spirit and word today. I pray, God, that you would draw people to an altar of repentance where their lives can be changed and impacted, oh God. And forever different, I pray, Jesus, for coming in contact with you this morning. In the name of the Lord, we pray these things. And could you help me worship the name of Jesus? Come on, let's love and worship and magnify and give praise to the name of Jesus today. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Hallelujah. One more time, put your hands together unto the Lord. Unto the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. This passage in Exodus points us to a wonderful article of furniture in the Old Testament tabernacle that was in the wilderness, and then also once uh, Solomon constructed the temple, we also find it there. And it is called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is mentioned 180 times in the Scripture. It is also synonymous with, as you've seen in our text, the Ark of Testimony, uh, the Holy Ark, or the Ark of Thy Strength. The Ark of the Covenant was made with shittim wood or acacia wood, as we would call it, and it was overlaid with gold within and without, and that was pure gold. And this fact is referenced over 21 times in the Scripture. The dimensions of the ark are given here. It says that it was two and a half cubits long, and you know that a cubit was from the elbow down to the fingertips. So it was two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide, and it was one and a half cubits in height. And there was specific Things that were to be placed in the Ark of the Covenant originally. First of all, there was the pot of manna. Manna was that supernatural thing that God used to feed His people while they journeyed for 40 years in the wilderness. It descended with the dew of heaven, and every morning they could go out and they could gather it each day, uh, six days a week for the need of that day. And on the sixth day, they would gather twice as much so that they would have for the Sabbath day or the seventh day. 
And the miraculous thing is, is when this pot of manna that was so perishable when it was in the wilderness, because if they were to put it up or try to hoard it, the scripture says that it would quickly begin to breed worms and rot and it would stink. But this was placed in a pot in the Ark of the Covenant and it never grew stale, the Bible says. It never became rancid or old, but it stayed the same. And this is yet another type of Jesus Christ for the scripture says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many knows that to be true this morning? And also in the Ark of the Covenant was placed Aaron's rod. We know that there was a little consternation about who was going to lead and who was going to be the person that God had chosen. And so these rods were placed. Each man uh, placed his uh, rod, his staff, that he would carry on a daily basis into the presence of the Lord. And the one that budded was the one that signified the one that God had anointed and chose. And so this was Aaron's rod, and it was also placed in the ark as a reminder of God's miraculous power and a reminder to you and I uh, that he throughout the ages is still able to perform miracles. We know that the Old Testament is filled with miracles that God performed. And then of course in the New Testament with Jesus' ministry, miracle after miracle. But again I tell you that in the church age that you and I live in, Miracles are still transpiring. Miracles are still taking place. And miracles are still available to those that need them today. I believe that God answers prayer. I believe that God is still a divine healer. I believe that God is able to change situations. And the greatest miracle of all that could happen in this room this morning is for somebody to come down to an altar and repent of their sins, sins that they couldn't get loose from on their own, sins that they couldn't overcome through counseling, sins that drugs could not cover and alcohol couldn't wash away, but sins that can be forgiven. Amen. And go down in a watery grave in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins and come up speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of the Lord gives them the utterance. That is the greatest miracle that can transpire here today. Amen. Aren't you thankful that he's a miracle worker? Also in that Ark of the Covenant there was the tables of stone or we might say the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments that were placed there. And then the lid of the Ark or the covering that was over uh, the Ark was called the mercy seat, and that's where really I want to focus our thoughts this morning. The mercy seat becomes a perfect type and picture of Jesus Christ in his redemptive work. Because in Romans chapter number 3 and verse 25, it tells us of Jesus Christ, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. That word propitiation, uh, here it literally means, and I looked it up this morning, mercy seat. Uh, Romans 3 and 5 could say, whom God has set forth to be a mercy seat through faith in his blood. 
once a year, the high priest on this day of atonement would enter into the holies of holies. Uh, he would go beyond the veil. He would enter this sacred place with the blood of the sacrifice in his hand. And he would sprinkle that blood upon the blood of the sacrifice upon the mercy seat. The mercy seat was above the broken law that lay within the ark. And the presence of God would come down uh, and approve of this and descend like a cloud and hover over it. And instead of seeing the broken law, when the presence of God would come into the holies of holies and the Shekinah glory of the Lord would come down, instead of seeing the broken law, it would see the blood. He saw the precious atoning blood of the Lamb. And the sins of Israel, therefore, were rolled ahead for another year. You understand that all of this is a type of the work of Jesus Christ which was to come. If today we could get the picture, if today we could get the message that is being conveyed here through types and shadows in the Old Testament of God's mercy seat and how that the mercy seat was guarded mercy or protected mercy, it was there in the holies of holies behind the veil that the cherubims that were over the mercy seat. The scripture gives detail here in our text that these were symbols of angelic presence that stood guard over the mercy seat. If you will remember when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden for their sin, that there was uh, a cherub that came and stood in the way, the scripture says, or at the entrance of the garden with a flaming sword. He was placed there to guard and to not permit anyone to come back into that garden or to that paradise, the Garden of Eden. Cherubs are guardian angels. Now, in Exodus chapter 25, it tells us that there were two cherubs of gold that were at either end of the mercy seat. These cherubs were completely symmetrical one to another. They were in harmony one with another. And the scripture says that their wings reached out and touched one another. Uh, they were exactly identical on either side of the ark. And uh, they were in harmony and unity with one another. But note that they both not looking at one another, but looked at the mercy seat or down upon the mercy seat. Can I preach to you this morning that the only way that unity can be maintained, the only way that it can be achieved in the church is when we don't look upon the faults of one another. We don't look upon the shortcomings of one another, but we look upon the mercy of God. We look upon how that God has given each one of us a testimony of His mercy in our lives. When we think about the goodness of God and His grace towards each one of us, that none of us in this building this morning are here by our own accord, but we're here because His mercy was given to us. Amen. There's car wrecks that 
should have killed us. There's situations that should have destroyed us. There's things that should have happened to keep us or hindered us from being in the house of the Lord this morning. But we're still here today and we're enjoying the presence of God. Why? Not because we're good, but because of the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. And if you're thankful this morning and you have a praise in your heart today because of His mercy, you understand that you're here. Why don't you raise your hands and your voice along with it and give praise unto God. God, I just want to thank you for your mercy. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. He is so merciful. David said his mercy endureth forever. His mercy over and over again. He would repeat that that phrase, his mercy endureth for many times in the Psalms, like a poem, it would be uh, the concluding line of a stanza. He would say, his mercy endureth forever. Why? Because he was, uh, he was uh, able to recognize God's mercy in his life. And people that would sing these songs could identify with those psalms because they knew of the mercy of the Lord. Nobody knew the mercies of God like the people of God, the children of Israel. Can I say for you and I that nobody knows the mercies of God like people that have been redeemed, like people that have been set free, like folks that have been delivered, like folks that God has been good to, that though we have stumbled and fallen, though we've made mistakes, though we've come up short, though sometimes we've got outside the margins, mercy has been there. Mercy has reached for us. Mercy has kept us. And mercy is the reason why we are in this place today. Hallelujah. One more time. Clap your hands unto the Lord. The Bible gives us a little insight into the riches of God. It says that He owns all that is in a thousand hills. You talk about all the precious metals. You talk about all the iron ore, all the copper. He owns all that is in a thousand hills. The scripture tells us that he prepared a city. Even Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are not just one, but many mansions. And if it were not so, I would not have told you. Our Lord is not a man that he should lie, nor the Son of Man, the scripture says, that he should repent. And the Bible tells us of that city that the walls are made of jasper. It says that the gates of that city, each one of them are carved of one pearl. That's a pretty good sized pearl. It tells us that the streets that you will trot upon in heaven are made of purest gold. That gives us a little insight and describes to us a little bit about the wealth of God. But how do you measure the wealth of God? It's always a controversy among the wealthy of the world. Who can end up on the Forbes 500 list of the 
500 most wealthy people in the world. And uh, people, uh, they want to be known as the most wealthy. And there's different ways that they measure this. And, uh, you know, recently... uh, Jeff Bezos was the wealthiest man. Then there was a breakup in his marriage, and he went from being uh, uh, number one to number two. And I, I just feel so sorry for him that he lost his place. Went from having hundreds of billions to maybe just having a, a couple of hundred billion. But anyway, that being said, uh, there's always competition where that is concerned. Uh, but the scripture says. Uh, Uh, That our God owns the gold and the mountains that the gold came from. But if you really want to measure, if you really want to talk about God's riches, you have to talk about His mercy. Because Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 says, But God who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. Note that it didn't say that it was rich in power. Though we know that he's an all-powerful God. He's abundant in power. He doesn't say that he was rich in ability. Though we understand that there's nothing that our God cannot do. It does not say that he's rich in justice. Though we understand that he's the judge of all the world. And that he is in fact a God of judgment. But he said if you want to measure what I'm rich in. And if you want to talk about my great attributes, he said, don't leave out my mercy. I'm rich in mercy. As powerful as the law of God was in the Old Testament, notice that God placed mercy over the law. The word was inside, or the law of Moses was inside of the Ark of the Covenant. But it was overshadowed with the mercy of God. The mercy seat was in the holies of holies. It was behind the veil. It was guarded by cherubims. Yet there was occasions where we read in the scripture where mercy could not be contained. Where mercy would escape. Where mercy at all times would flash out of that place and reach to help and restore somebody that was in need. We understand that David was considered a man after God's own heart. And I I've heard a lot of people give up uh, their subjection on, on what they thought the reasons for that was and they guessed at what the reasons for that was and we don't know entirely why. I, I'm sure it was more than just one reason but it was the whole uh, of the attitude of David that brought about this statement that he was a man after God's own heart. We know that he was a worshiper and God loves a worshiper. We know that he was a man that was a great leader and had courageous uh, faith to step out and fight giants and Philistines and he never Never shied away from a battle and we know that God loved that attribute we know that he had a desire to do something great for God but in my opinion I feel like the reason why that this is attributed to David is because he was a merciful man when there was a rebellion led by Absalom David showed mercy to him when Joab turned against him uh, David showed mercy to him when Shimei rose up and hurled curse words and stones at him, David showed mercy to him and let him live. When Saul was in his hands to kill, David showed mercy 
to him. When Mephibosheth, it was the custom for all the heirs to the throne to be put to death. And Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth, was found in Lodabar. David said, bring him here. Give him a place at my table. Let him eat bread continually. He doesn't have to wait for an invitation, but anytime he gets hungry, he can come and eat at my table because I want to show the kindness of God. I want to be merciful to him. And Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So David sown in mercy. David showed mercy over and over again throughout his life. And when David committed sin, a sin that was worthy according to the law of death, the scripture says that a voice could be heard, and we can read it. We can eavesdrop on that prayer in Psalms 51 where he cried out, and he said, Have mercy upon me, O God according to thy loving kindness. And mercy came racing from behind the veil and was given to David, a man that was undeserving, but it rescued him. The only reason any of us are here today is because mercy overshadows the law. The law said we deserve to die. The law said we deserve to be stoned. The law said we don't deserve to be here in the presence of the Lord. Uh, the law said we don't deserve access uh, into this place. Uh, the law says uh, that we would be prohibited to do what we're doing this morning and worship and praise and magnify God and feel the glory of the Lord coming down in this place. Uh, but I'm thankful that mercy makes a way. I'm thankful that mercy affords us the opportunity. I'm thankful that mercy, amen, stands in the way of judgment sometimes and says, no, give me a chance. Give me an opportunity. Give me, amen, just one opportunity to save their soul. If you're thankful for the mercy of God, why don't you put your hands together and clap them under the Lord. Amen, amen. God spoke to a man by the name of Jonah and said, I want you to go to the wicked, evil, perverse, diabolical city of Nineveh. And I want you to preach that judgment's coming. We know, of course, that Jonah, and that's where we tend to focus the story is upon Jonah's disobedience to go. And that's a story within itself. But when he finally arrives, even against his wishes, and I don't get from this that he has a deep burden for these people. And if you've read anything about the Ninevites, the people of Nineveh, you'll understand why he felt the way that he felt. These were malicious people. These were barbaric people. These were people that were so distant and separated in their values from God that it's even in our current world, it's hard for us to be able to imagine just how uh, far gone these folks were and away from God. 
and it would seem like there's no hope for them and there's no way that they could possibly change. These people were, were bloodthirsty. These, these people, uh, they, they, they were so riotous in their living that it would seem like it would be impossible that they could be restored or redeemed and be saved. But the scripture says, even though Jonah, he just came with a message. He didn't really have a burden. And he stood up on his soapbox and he preached. He repent. Judgment is at hand. And he went down a little further and he preached a little bit more. And he went down to the next block and he preached a little bit more. And he went throughout the city proclaiming this message. And finally, this message reaches the ears of the king. And the king feels conviction, apparently, in his heart. Because the Bible says that he arose from his throne and put on sackcloth. And he went, and as an example before the people, he began to lead them in repentance. And how many knows that repentance is one of the most powerful things that a person can get involved in? The repentance prayer is a very powerful prayer. When you get down on your knees and you cry out to God and you say, God, I'm sorry. I want to turn from my sin. I want to turn my back on the things of the world. I don't want to be that person anymore. Repentance is not just coming and say, God, forgive me. That's a part of it. God, forgive me so I can go on and continue to do it. I can continue to go on in my sin and live the same way after I felt what I felt and experienced what I've experienced. I'm going to walk out and continue on my merry way. No, that's not repentance. Repentance is getting down to business with God and saying, God, I want to change. I don't want to be the same. I don't want to live the same. I don't want to be bound by this anymore. I don't want to be addicted to this anymore. I don't want to feel this way any longer. I don't want to be condemned by this sin any longer. But God, forgive me. I repent. I turn my back on that. And God's mercy says, I'll come to where you are. And even these wicked, even these malicious, bloodthirsty, sinful, hard-hearted people of Nineveh, when they repented, the Bible said that mercy came from behind the veil. And God saved the city because there was somebody that cried out for mercy. I wonder what could happen in this dispensation that we're living in. If somebody in this place would cry out to him, would lift your voice to him and say, God, I need your mercy. I need your redemptive power in my life. I don't want to go on the same way. If God could do it for Nineveh, he could do it for somebody in this room. Amen. I said if God could do it for a wicked people of Nineveh, he could do it for somebody. You're not too bad to find God. Your sin's not too great to not be washed away. Your problems are not too great that God cannot take care of them. I'm telling you, mercy's here. Mercy's here. Mercy's here to help somebody in this place. Come on, church. Help me pray. Help me get a hold of God. Help me intensify this a little bit here this morning. We see this intensify with Jesus when he begins to walk the face of this earth. God manifests in the flesh. Pharisees came to him dragging a lady behind that had been caught in the very act of adultery. And they said, the law says. They knew all about the law. 
They were people that were well acquainted with and had studied and were proficient in all the details of the law. The law says stoner. My question is, if you guys are so involved and so bound by the law, why would you, why would you waste any time bringing her to Jesus? See, the point is, is they're wanting to catch Jesus in his words. The point is, is they're wanting to get his opinion about it. And they drag her up and say, the law, the law said to stone her, but what do you say? And the scripture says that he's bent down and, and, and begin to write in the ground and the dirt. I don't know exactly what he wrote. I don't know if he started writing down some sins that he knew of in the lives of those people that were standing there. But he looks and he says to her and to them, he said, let me, let me just tell you guys something. He said, those of you that are without sin, you go ahead and hurl the first stone. And one by one, beginning, the Bible said, with the eldest, the one that had lived the longest and knew that he had needed the mercy and the grace of God the more. He was thinking of his long life and how many times he had fell into the hands of a merciful God. He dropped his stone and walked away. Until there was nobody left but the accused. And he looked at her and said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way and sin. That's what I say. Because mercy is over the law. Mercy is over the law. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bible tells us that Jesus is walking with his disciples and entourage of people that is with him down the road one day and there's a blind man who, who the law says he, he should not have audience with them who the law says is not worthy to come into the presence of a person like Jesus but the scripture tells us that while Jesus is walking this man begins to cry out Jesus thou son of David have mercy upon me O Lord Scripture says something very interesting. The Bible said that Jesus, while he's walking, hears this voice and stood still. He just stopped. Now, Bartimaeus couldn't see the results of his prayer. Bartimaeus was blind. He couldn't see that the Lord had stopped. And he just keeps on crying out. What does that mean? I'm here to tell somebody that though you've been praying and though you've been crying out to God and you can't see from your perspective that the prayer has been answered, you've gotten the Lord's attention. Just keep on praying. Just keep on believing. Just keep on crying out. Amen. You may not be aware of it, but the Lord is listening. You may not be aware of it, but you've got His attention. You may not be aware of it, but the Lord, amen, knows exactly where you're at. And the Bible said He called for him and healed him of his blindness. Amen. I'm telling somebody in this place today, the, the presence of the Lord is going to stop by your pew. The presence of the Lord is going to reach to where your need is. And God is going to minister to your life if you desire him and are of the 
of the attitude that God, I'm not here, amen, to, to just, just be pious in your presence, but I'm here with a need in my life, and I'm going to cry out to you. Is anybody humble enough to cry out to the Lord? Is there anybody here humble enough to lift your voice to the Lord? Is there anybody here that your need is great enough uh, that you can't hold it back, but you cry out to God with all of your heart? That's it. Let's cry out to him. Let's cry out to him. Don't be ashamed. Cry out to him, Bartimaeus. Jesus, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. As Sister Taylor comes, there's only one time that in the entire New Testament that I can find that the cry for mercy was not heeded. Out of all of the instances in the Word of God, in the New Testament to be exact, only one time that I can see that mercy, the cry for mercy was not heeded. And that is in Luke 16, when that man that was separated from the presence of God and lifted up his eyes in hell and began to cry out for mercy. Mercy was not given because there's no mercy found in hell. But there's mercy in this place this morning. There's mercy in this house today. Jesus, wherever he went, mercy went. And when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, they nailed him to that cross pierced his side and for six hours he was in agony and he suffered and he finally died gave up the ghost the Bible says just prior to him drawing his last breath he said it is finished something happened then the Bible said over at the temple where the mercy seat was the veil that guarded the holies of holies was rent in twain, torn from top to bottom. They took the body of Jesus and they placed him in a borrowed tomb and sealed it. In fact, they placed Roman guards to guard it. Said, make it as sure as you can. The devil thought the days of mercy is forever gone. I finally won. It's over with. But after three days, the Bible says that mercy got up out of that tomb. And the Bible tells us that Mary came to that tomb weeping to the sepulcher. And she saw the angels where the body of Jesus had been. And remember, there were two angels that guarded the mercy seat for centuries in the Old Testament. And now they're standing guard. But the Bible says they're not really standing guard. They're sitting in this place where mercy was. And the work of the guardian angel of mercy was over. 
mercy was not to be guarded anymore. It was not to be inaccessible anymore. But now it was free. Mercy was free for the sinner. Mercy was free for the backslider. Mercy was free. You didn't have to be qualified to a certain degree to enter in. You, you, you weren't allowed to go there only if you were of a certain, a certain tribe and a certain man only one time a year. But the lame, the sick, the halt, the blind, they could enter in. Mercy is for you. And mercy is for your children. And mercy, the Scripture tells us, is for them that are afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Mercy broke out in and to find a way to help the hurting and to find a way to deliver the bound. Mercy broke out to heal the brokenhearted. Mercy broke out to minister to them that are bruised. Mercy, mercy's in this place. And so when Paul picked up his pen and begins to write under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he said, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's by His mercy. It's by His mercy that saved us. By the washing, we didn't get clean on our own, folks. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Would you stand with me right now? If you're thankful for the mercy of God, why don't you raise your hands to Him? Why don't you cry out to Him? Why don't you call on Him right now? Come on, all across this building. Let's cry out to the Lord. Let's cry out to the Lord. Let's cry out to the Lord. Somebody need mercy in this place. Somebody need a fresh touch from God in this house. Somebody feel the call. Amen. To draw close into the presence of the Lord. There's not a barrier there. There's not a veil that blocks you. Amen. But you can come. You can find your way in. Some of you may have heard the song times past. It was very popular for many years. Mercy came running. And tell me that the inspiration for that song came from a message that a man preached. And he talked about mercy being a prisoner behind the veil in the holies of holies. I don't know exactly just from memory the dimensions of that particular room or place. Mercy was confined to it. Mercy couldn't escape it. Only on these suggested occasions that I showed you in the word of the Lord could mercy escape and get out. And this preacher preached about how that mercy would press against the veil, hearing the cries of hungry people that desired the Lord to minister to them and to help them and to change their life. And mercy wanted so badly to come to where they were and to help them. Mercy wanted so desperately to touch their lives. Mercy wanted to give them restoration and wanted to put their lives back together that were broken. But mercy couldn't do it. But when the veil was rent, mercy come running out. And mercy said, here I am for anybody that's willing for anybody that anybody desires it, anybody that's hungry for it, anybody that longs for it. I'm here. This is the opportunity that I've been waiting for. This is what I've been wanting. 
I wonder if all across this building, I need you, church, to help me this morning. I want you to come in behind these that are here. Everybody ought to come to this front. Everybody ought to find a place around this altar. I want you to raise your hands. If you need the mercy of God to touch you today, and I think we all do, why don't you raise your hands? Come on, church, help me pray with these that are responding to what they're feeling today. Help me pray with these that are gathered around these altars. Oh, that are responding to this altar service. I need the mercy of God. I need the help of God. Come on, come on, come on. Mercy is here this morning. Oh, yes, mercy is not confined to just uh, the dimensions of one room or just one life, but anybody at all. He said, whosoever will, let him come and drink of the waters of life freely. Come on, you've been drinking from the wells of death and sin, the wells poisoned by this world, by the enemy of your soul. Oh, you've been drinking from the poison wells of pride and the poison wells of unbelief. You've been drinking from the well of condemnation that says things can never change and never could get better. I've come to preach to you. The blood is able to cover all of that. The blood is able to wash all of that away. The blood is able to change everything this morning. Somebody reach out. Somebody reach out. Somebody reach out. Come on, I need you to help me pray, church. I need you to help me pray, church. There's folks that need God. There's people that are seeking the Lord. Come on, please, not, not just come and look around. Not, not just come down and just, just stand idle. Oh, but let's get, let's get with somebody and pray with them. Let's, let's help somebody find their way through to mercy. Let's help somebody find hope and help here this morning. Hallelujah. Mercy's available. Mercy is here.